0: we'll go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We confess thy mercies, O Lord, which thou constantly displayest towards our need, beseeching thee, that thou who art exalted in the churches, and sittest at the right hand of the Father on his throne... Mayest grant us to understand and ponder the secret of such great, of such great, of such great loving kindness, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost. Um, excuse me. Um. Ever one God, world without end. Amen. Now, you can blame me for sounding Reformed with that Jacobian English, but you know, I don't think it's going to fly. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to fly. This is a Lutheran prayer book, my friend. All right. oh, man. The Brotherhood Prayer Book. <laughs> I highly endorse it. Um, all right, Chapter 5 of Has uh, American Christianity Failed? Um... Any, before, before we get into the, the, the discussion, any highlights uh, that y'all noticed that you want to throw out there before we really get started and everything? I mean, we're probably going to touch on it, but what, what was a big takeaway for y'all in this chapter?
1: If anything, I thought it was a pretty good chapter. I never get a robust articulation of the doctrine of absolution from a Lutheran perspective, so
2: that's really helpful. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, absolution is a big, big deal. Um, I mean, it's part of the whole beards thing, you know, The mm-hmm. A is for absolution. Yeah. So so I guess, well, we can get into that later, but I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting because, like, how did you see absolution before
1: Pastor Wolfmuller got into it? I mean, was it... It's connected, at least it has been in my theology previously, to mm-hmm. the sacraments, which are themselves different than in the Lutheran view. Mm-hmm. Um, Their functions of life together in the church, which mm. are then symbolized through the sacraments, but perhaps awesome. not catalyzed. Catalyzed. And I don't know if you guys are that strong on it, but I sense that there's a, well, the real presence has some cloud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. I would say that. At least it's been disconnected from from uh, the sacramental view mm. of the Lutheran Church because sure. that hasn't been present either in my theology. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: I, I think that, that that it's um it's very novel for a lot of people because because it, it's it, it's very interesting in 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 America. The Reformed theology has definitely gained more momentum than a, a Lutheran theology in a lot of ways, and so and so you you'll, you'll get a lot of more mainstream Christians um, who will you know side more on the Reformed understanding of you know the sacraments or absolution or, or, or things like that, where we would as Lutherans agree on some level. Like we don't we don't totally disavow. All of you know, Tulip, we would we would agree with you know, total depravity and what is what is you, um,
1: un, unconditional election, unconditional
0: election. I mean, we would agree with that. I mean, you have to define what those meant, but on the face of it, we were like, yeah, we can we can agree with you, you know, we can flesh out what that really means. Everything else, we would say, like, well, we have some issues, right? So, and, and, and that's fair, uh, it's fair to disagree on these things and to hash out, um, what's, what's true, what, what scripture says and things like that. But that's very, very interesting as absolution from a Lutheran perspective kind of made you think a little bit differently probably about um, the issue. Very good. Very good. Uh, anybody else want to just kind of throw something out there that they've really found helpful from this chapter?
2: I don't think I ever thought of repentance as being a gift before. Uh, I n- never thought it was a work, but I don't think I quite understood that it was it was a gift. So yeah. that was a really cool reading.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I really appreciate Pastor Wolfmiller because he's he's laid it out a little bit better than I I tried to lay it out like that before because I because he's he's getting this from our understanding of scripture and like the Lutheran confessions and what what constitutes repentance. Um, according to you know the interpretation of scripture and whatnot, but so he's 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 not coming up with this on his own. He's getting this from uh, another you know from I guess the heritage of our theology, right? And but he presents it in such a way that's very helpful to show you for sure that it is a gift uh, that it is something that God grants to you. From outside of yourself, and yeah, we'll get into that. It's, so I thought that was very helpful too. It's a good, good thing to latch on to. Is the gift of repentance. Anybody else want to point out one thing they really enjoyed from this chapter?
3: No. In that case, yeah, so I left my stuff at work, so I'm kind of like going by memory.
2: Are we on question three now? No, we're just. <laughs> we
3: haven't even started yet. We haven't even started
0: yet. Oh, so, no. so you're okay. You're okay. Um, you did read, right?
3: Yeah. I didn't No good. Question. No good. But I left it all at work for oh, some time. I just didn't take it home.
0: Yeah. Next thing you're going to tell me, your dog ate your homework. So. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's all right. But yeah, just. No, what's that? Not. My dog. Not my dog. No. He's dead, dead. Yeah, that's you about know. how big my dog is too. She's little. <laughs> she's All right, so uh, let's just begin with begin at the beginning. It's on page nine, I think it's on ninety-two, right? That he's talking about the Great Exchange, right? Um, what is the Great Exchange as it's laid out in the book?
3: Our sins are traded in for no sin. Hmm, it's a little bit better than that, isn't it?
0: Uh, because was he, he talks about, it's not just like a clean slate, but it's something more. What does what he liken it to? Because that's close, but what actually happens is actually so much better than just no sin. What is it? Justification? Yeah. Righteousness, right? It's not just about, you know, just getting a clean slate and now you're starting from scratch and zero. No, instead of, like, it's basically like, you know, negatives and positives. You know, God takes all of the negatives and doesn't just leave you at zero, but he gives you all of the positives on top of it. That's like saying, you know, it's basically like saying... um, what did he say? He says, if, if, if you give me a dirty sock and I, in return, give you a new car, that's a good exchange. Yeah. At least for you. Right? If, if you give me a trash can full of dirty diapers and I, in return, give you a new home, that's a good exchange. But uh, here is how it is with Jesus. We give him our sin, our punishment, our death, our grave, the wrath of God that we deserve. And he gives us his mercy and grace, his forgiveness, his eternal life, his name, his spirit, his blessedness, his righteousness, and his perfection, right? So it's not just about starting at zero or a blank slate, clean slate, no sin. It's eternal life. It's righteousness. It's blessedness, purity forever, right? So that's, that's only scratching the surface of the great exchange, right? Um, any, any other thoughts about the great exchange? Um, questions about it? Sounds pretty good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so justification, being made righteous in God's sight, right? Um, And then we get into this issue of the cross. I I, I wonder how much of y'all got a little confused by that on page 90. It's like 93 and 94, where saying you know the gospel is not the fact of the cross or the event of the cross, it is the word of the cross, the promise of the cross. Did y'all understand that? You know, need some explanation about that.
1: It's hopeful to think of the gospel as something that has to be spoken. It's a it's a good news. There's there's no news without somebody musing it or, or yeah making sure it, making noise yeah. Or,
0: yeah, um, how can they, it's like faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, and how are they supposed to hear unless someone preaches it, and how can someone, uh, what is it, how can preach. someone preach if they're not sent, right? So it's, it's yeah, it's that, that whole understanding of the delivery of the good news, and I was just wondering if anybody had, uh, you know, needed some clarity on what he means by the cross as a fact or as an event. Did y'all understand that? Where he's basically saying, like, you know, the place where, uh, the traditionally understood place where Christ was crucified, they built a church on on that site. And now you can crawl into, like, under the altar and put your hand in the hole where the cross was and things like that. But by doing that, it doesn't mean that you're saved. Just like like the the Roman soldiers were covered in Jesus' blood, and that fact alone did not make them saved. Right? But it is... It's faith, it's trust, and it's grasping onto the promise that God gives us in the proclamation of what happens on the cross, right? Um, the great exchange that takes place with Jesus' death, right? That makes sense? Because uh, I read that and I was like, well, I don't know he's getting that, but then I thought about it a little more. Like, okay, I get it.
3: You want know, to say, James? Yeah? I brought it along. Nice! Good <laughs> job! The cross is a symbol. Uh huh. The yeah. real cross is what was happened on the cross. Yeah,
0: right. It's 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 a symbol. Uh, it's a sign. You could even say, sign. and signs point to things, right? Um, but, uh, well, I mean, you can get into the different understandings of the definition of terms, but yeah, like a crucifix. You know, you don't you don't carry around a crucifix just so you can say, um, I worship this piece of wood or metal, because this is what grants me my salvation, but it is a reminder uh, or a spiritual focus of what was accomplished that is for your benefit right now and for all eternity, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, in some sense, visually proclaiming the word, uh, the, the message of salvation in some ways, too. It might need some unpacking for someone who doesn't know what a crucifix is, but... Opens up opportunities, right? Any other thoughts on number two? So so any thoughts on that further?
3: Yeah, so I had a, uh, between page 94 and 97, 95. Okay. Yeah. I have an issue. You have an issue. Okay, page 95. Uh Uh-huh. Under, it is a promise. Mm Mm-hmm. A promise is kept by believing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Trying to explain that one to me. Okay, so
0: a command, I mean, um, I guess it's who's keeping the promise, right? Um, and maybe that's where he needs to flesh it out a little bit better, because I think that that can be confusing. Is that what you're confused about? Like, who's keeping the promise? That's or what's nonsense. I
3: read that, and I go, where did that come from? Okay, so so when he says that... Um, a promise is kept by belief or believing it.
0: Well, a promise, a promise is... by who? Well, I guess... I guess
3: that'd be the place to start.
0: Yeah, a promise by who? When it comes to belief, you always have to ask, what is your faith in, right? What are you trusting in? Uh, a promise is kept, I'd say it's probably better said it is delivered to someone who Trusts in the promise, you know what I mean? Because when it comes to God's promise, because that's what he's talking about, right? We're not I'm not talking about how, like, you know, I promise to give you five yeah, bucks. So this is not
3: he's not talking about a people promise, he's talking about a God promise.
0: He's talking specifically about our relationship to God with a promise and a command and things like that, and the distinction the distinction between the two. It comes down to this, because what he's getting at, I believe, is um <laughs> is when he says, uh, okay, so let me see here. Here's the thing. Jesus died for all people, right? Right. Mm-hmm. He died on the cross so that all would be saved. Yes. Now this morning uh someone said, you know, all people's sins are forgiven. And I said, we have to make a clear distinction that says The promise of the forgiveness of sins is for all people, but it doesn't do them any good if they don't trust in that promise. You see what I mean? It's not fulfilled for them because they don't don't, uh, believe it. It's kind of like, what is it, um, when he gets into that part about the jailer who um, gets the verdict of not guilty from the judge and comes and says to the person in jail, you're free to go. And the person in jail goes, you're not the judge. Who are you to tell me that I'm free? I'm going to wait for him to tell me. And they just wind up staying in jail. The promise is still there. You can walk out anytime you want, but the person doesn't because they don't believe it. You know, so it is kept or it is, I guess, the benefits of a promise
3: are received when you believe it. Does that make make sense? So now we're going from a promise to the benefits of a promise.
0: Well, I mean, what else is a promise for than to benefit from it?
3: I don't know. To me, a promise is a
0: promise. <laughs> yeah, but what are you
3: promising? Whatever you say, you're. Promising. Yeah,
0: exactly. And he's promising life and salvation, and that's a benefit. That's I'm, I'm just taking one one jump over you know what we're talking about here, right? I mean, if you, but he also kind of promises what. Damnation and eternal hell for those who don't believe. So, anyways, we're getting into semantics here. But yeah, we get to some though. Okay, I thought you're raising your hand. Is that clarified a little bit? Um, so I, when, I, he no, says, doping, then. when he says, when he said, yeah, when he says, if I give you a command, stand up and do ten jumping jacks, it would make no sense for you to say, Brian, I believe you. Is that a- okay, because he's talking about the difference between a command and a promise. And Then he says. Um, I didn't give you a promise to believe, but a commandment to do. If I give you a promise, Jesus is coming back, it makes no sense for you to stand up and do ten jumping <laughs> to do jacks. I didn't give you a command to do, but a promise to believe. Right, That Jesus is coming back, right, or Jesus has died for you. Your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That's a promise. But you don't receive anything from that promise if you don't believe it. That's what he's basically getting at.
3: You see what I mean? So, God promised Abraham he'd have uh, descendants as far as the stars in the sky, and he didn't believe it, so he went off and had Ishmael. I mean. Well, he did believe it, though. Uh, he, he did
0: in some way, right? We don't know the depth of the faith, but because it did say he believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? But then he wavered and, yeah, went and had Ishmael because he thought he would fulfill it in a different way. But the promise was still there.
2: He was impatient for God to make the promise come true.
3: That's right. Well, that's part of it. Um, I think the promise is kept by the person who made the promise. That's right. It is kept by the person that made the promise. But that's not what that verse is. That is what it
0: means. (laughs) That's not what it says. Not at all what it says. That is what he means, though. Be a little charitable here, (laughs) Jase. Come on, man. Be a little charitable because he's trying to unpack a big, big theological issue by putting it into a small little paragraph. I agree with you. It can be a little confusing depending on what you understand a promise to be. But charitably, what he means is that the promise is not delivered to those who don't believe in that promise. God keeps the promise. We do not. Right. That's That's right. That's right. God keeps the promise; He delivers on His promise, but we don't receive anything promised if we don't believe it. I think that's what He's getting at. Does that make more sense? Yeah,
2: it was just written. Out. Still, unfortunate it's kind of a little
0: yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Don't worry, I'll give him a call and I'll straighten things yeah, yeah. out. Uh, maybe maybe we can invite him and he can come and explain himself to y'all. Uh, he's only down in Austin,
1: so. Mm-hmm. I wonder wonder if we could, I don't know, like, pencil in the word guarded. A promise is guarded by believing it. Because you can keep something by, like, obeying it, keeping a command. mm -hmm. Or you can keep something by, like, I'm going to keep this, right? And you Mm -hmm. can't have it. And if that's the keep that we do with a promise, we hold on to it, then maybe that's our appropriate response. I think
0: maybe to go in line with his understanding and his teaching on passive righteousness uh, maybe you could say a promise is received by believing it. Maybe you can put it that way instead. You see what I mean? Does that make more sense? Because then it's all pure gift,
1: right? Right, whereas my keeping... My guarding is what I do. Puts me in agency, yeah. Right, yeah. Is okay. that,
0: does that, maybe that could be a better way to put it. Think about it. Yeah. Think um, about
3: it. <laughs> I've never been a debater. I have to think about things for a while. Well, the first thing about... This one I thought about for like days and I go...
0: Well, good for you, man. (laughs) Good. No, good. You got to ponder this stuff. But yeah, you're right. And the first step of like any sort of profitable discussion is defining your terms, right? So if you have a different understanding of a promise than what he's getting at, then y'all aren't going to really make any headway one way or the other. But charitably, I would think that maybe we could tweak that a little bit and say maybe a promise is received, or the benefits of a promise is received by believing it just like the benefits of a command, like the reward for a command is by doing it. Right? Does that kind of help a little bit? Think about it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Let me know what you think. Okay? Because that's a good
1: point. The thief on the cross Mm -hmm. has what you were talking about. He believed what
0: the Lord said. Mm-hmm. He believed what was promised to him, that he would be him in paradise. Right. So, but I still don't like his his word of kept. Yeah, I guess you're right about that one. It's not... It's, it's a bit unfortunate.
2: Yeah. Well, because, I mean, God promises wrath and condemnation for those who don't right. come to him. That's right. But they don't have to believe that and it still comes true. That's exactly right. Well, so, so there's... Still wrong. So there's that.
0: Well, that's the other side of the coin. Mm, yeah. That's that's yeah. that's the other side of the coin.
2: The promise it still comes true even if you don't keep it. Well, that... Sometimes. That, depends on what the promise that is. Pro- yeah,
0: it depends on the, what the promise is. And that's kind of where you get little hang-ups, right? Um,
3: all right, good conversation. I actually really enjoyed that. Uh, well, you ought to be glad that you know people are reading this stuff. Reading and, and thinking for sure, about think about it. Yeah,
0: it's worth. Yeah, and I like that you're wrestling with the text. It's good because it helps helps everybody else think about it a little bit differently too. So it's good. Any other things about promises and commands? No. Okay, now we get onto something that might cause another discussion. <laughs> um, so we're going to get into the issue of repentance. All right. Um, so number three, repentance is, and uh, you know, he's an interesting way of phrasing things. So we'll just leave. We'll just have a discussion about that. Repentance <laughs> is the requirement and the result of God's word coming to mankind. Now. Um,
2: I got hung up on that statement. Yeah,
0: I did too, a little bit. Um, because it depends on what you mean by repentance, right? Unless you mean something else. What, do you, what are you hung up on that, well, on that
2: statement? Repentance is the result of God's word coming. Yes, sure. But
0: repentance is the requirement of God's word coming. Well, I don't think so. Um, what would you mean by Requirement. Why must it be necessary for God's word to come to us for repentance? What do you think? Say that again. So, okay, why why would it be a requirement for God's word coming to mankind? Which part of, I guess...
2: Because how it's written is repentance comes before God's word. Repentance is required for God's word to come. No, 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 no. That doesn't make sense. No,
0: no, 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 no. It's, 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 um... Yeah, repentance is required for salvation, but it is still a gift. Because, like he talks about later on, which we'll get in the next part, is that the the two parts of repentance are contrition, or, you know, sorrow for sin, and then faith. You don't know you're a sinner apart from God's word, his law, Right? And you don't, and you cannot believe, you cannot have faith apart from the gospel proclaimed to you, right? So it is, I guess, a little unfortunate how he's kind of trying to wrap everything into this one sentence. But repentance is the requirement and the result of God's word coming to mankind. So the requirement is the law, right? The law tells us what is required. This is how I'm reading it. Again, you can quibble with me if you'd like. That's fine. That's why we're here. It's a requirement, but then the result of the fullness of God's word, the full counsel of God's word, both law and gospel, is that you would believe in the promises of Christ. Does that kind of help a little bit? Or am I just reading too much into this? (laughs)
1: So so God's word comes to us and requires us to repent um, when... When Christ is manifest in John's gospel, it's under the terms repentant belief for the kingdom, well, mm-hmm. Matthew, right. for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happens when God's word comes to mankind. Repentance is required of us. Mm-hmm. And the means for our repentance is provided in Christ at the same moment. That's right. So he calls us to repentance and causes us to repent. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah.
0: And and it's one of those things of like, you know, um, when when Peter is preaching at Pentecost and they're cut, like it's, you know, I alluded to before they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized. Right. And so it's but all with the understanding that repentance would be something like they didn't. They weren't cut to the heart in and of themselves. They were cut to the heart from the preaching of the word, from the preaching of the law that condemned them as those who even crucified the Lord Christ. So that they were cut to the heart and said, "What must we do? What can be done?" And he simply and he simply says, "Believe in Jesus Christ, right? Repent and believe. Um, turn away by the power of you know the Holy Spirit." I'm, I'm you know reading this into it according to other sources of scripture, that no one can say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? No one can desire that salvation apart from the preaching of the law, right? Um, and, all, and so on and so forth.
3: Does that make some sense? Yep. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. James, you want to add something? So repentance yeah. is, is that a work? Is it an act? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. What do you think? What do you think? Well, we went through this last time already. I believe we have free will. Okay. To repent or not repent is my decision. But what do you do with something like our understanding of the third article of the creed? What do you do? Yeah, that that? the Holy Spirit is there, so I can repent.
0: That's right. So is that really your free will to decide that you must repent yeah. or is it god telling you from outside of yourself influencing not not influencing your will changing your will so that you would be able to say jesus christ is my lord does that make sense mm-hmm.
2: later they talk about conscience right yeah and your conscience is what makes you feel guilty, mm-hmm. and in the Holy Spirit, anyway, you repent. You should repent. Right. You're you... You not supposed to keep a
0: pet sin. You know? <laughs> right, right. I guess, so if I'm, if I'm getting this straight, so with free will, you have the free choice to repent or not to repent. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. But that's, there's a problem there because of how we understand who's doing the work, okay? So if we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that enlightens me, that opens my eyes to see how sinful I really am, he's the one who is the first doer of the work so that you'll, so that you'll be able to see, oh, I'm a sinner who is in danger of God's wrath and therefore I need to believe what God has promised about, about sin and about what Christ has done. I mean, so with free will, like I said before, according to scripture, we do not believe that we have free will in terms of salvation. Would you agree with that? Like we have free will. To repent is what I think. Okay, and then, it, see, and then it all depends on what you mean by repentance, right? Because he was saying that um, generally it's understood in American Christianity, right? That repentance is the requirement that I change, right? That I do something, you know, doing a U-turn in your life. To repent means stop doing sinful things and start doing godly things. Repentance is my free will accomplishing some degree of good works. Would you say that's what repentance is?
3: Repentance is I'm sorry for my sins. Right. Who told you you were, who told you you should be sorry? Well, as I guess you could say, Holy Spirit of your conscience. You should say the Holy Spirit, <laughs> because the Holy Spirit
0: works through what? How does He work? Does He just kind of like? fall upon us whenever he decides to. How does, how does, how does the Holy Spirit work according to Church Scripture? Prayer. What's that? In prayer. Okay. Specifically, though... Through,
2: through the word. word. Through
0: the Word, right? Yes, he helps us in prayer. He directs our prayers to get where they need to go, right? He repackages them with groanings too deep for words, as Paul says in Romans, right? The thing is, though, is that the Holy Spirit works through the Word, both law and gospel. Right. That's why we have what uh, the two parts of uh, repentance, <laughs> which are uh,
3: which are what contrition.
0: Yeah. What is what is
3: contrition? You're sorry.
0: Yeah. You have sorrow for sin, not because you got caught, right? That's a different thing. Just because it's wrong, right? You have contrition for your sin. Contrition for sin. And then what's the second part? Faith. Faith. Faith in what? Forgiveness. (laughs) Faith in the fact that you're a sinner? No. Faith in Christ, right? Faith in Christ and what he has done for you. Right? So that... You truly can turn away from sin, but it doesn't start because you decided that you should be sorrowful for sin. It started because the word, the law, was working on your heart to break apart the heart of stone that you have, that, doesn't, that makes all kinds of excuses for sin, that is willfully ignorant about your sin, to really understand the depths of your sin so that you can feel sorry for so, the Holy Spirit is the first one to act in terms of repentance. Like he was saying, it's a gift. It comes from outside of ourselves. The Word convicts us, tells us that we are poor, miserable sinners, deserving of God's damnation and wrath. But the Word also tells us in the Gospel that by trusting in Christ, we will be delivered from God's wrath for sin. See that? So that is something that I want you all to wrestle with a little bit, because even me, I, I was really, uh, I had a hard time with understanding repentance in this construct. I had a hard time because I did believe, it's like, well, it's an imperative in Scripture, right? Repent, repent, repent. You automatically think it's something that you do. You automatically think that it's a condition for your salvation that you can accomplish by your free will right but if that was true then what would that be a work. a work a work as opposed to a gift okay so this is all to just kind of challenge you a little bit to kind of think about repentance in a different way as a pure gift of god of the preaching of the law and of the gospel okay any questions on this it's a, it's it's a big concept so
3: if you have questions please Throw yeah, there. yeah. I, I can't where the Holy Spirit comes in there, but the, you know, people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit—they're out of here. Yeah. Who decides yeah. that? God.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Who decides who blasphemes the Holy Spirit? Yeah, isn't it the person that does it?
3: Well,
0: oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, they can be deceived, and they can, they can turn away. They can fall away.
3: Yeah. We as Lutherans... So is that not free will or free will?
0: It's free will bound to sin. That's what we mean by that. The bondage of the will is that our will is only naturally and ever by itself bound to sin. Does that make sense? That if you were going to make a decision by yourself, it would always be sinful in some way. Always be sinful in some way. But when it comes to salvation, God is the one who has to act. Remember how I said before, in terms of free will, it was like a couple chapters ago, in terms of free will, we have the free will in terms of the horizontal realm, right? We have... We have civil righteousness. Like, I can decide that I'm not going to be a jerk, right? I can decide that I'm going to be polite. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to hold the door open. I'm going to practice righteousness on that level. What I can't decide is that I will receive salvation or make a decision for Jesus, right? Or decide whether or not Christ is my Savior. I can't do that by myself because my my will is only bound by itself to sin does that make sense that's so why we, we need free, god
3: we have free will to reject the holy spirit but we don't have free will to accept jesus into our hearts that's right
1: and thus we're accountable for our sin to god if we don't repent and believe by his grace but when he does forgive us all the credit goes to him. That's right. That's we exactly get the right for our sin, deservingly, and he gets the credit for our righteousness. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's one so of those cool. things. Like you don't you don't you don't get any credit for salvation. No, I, right. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that
3: you have a decision of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And you yep. have a decision to allow Jesus into mm-hmm. your heart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing with uh, what is it with um,
0: yeah, like uh, Christelle said. You know, your conscience. Right? That um, when it came to Peter and Judas, right? Who committed the worst sin? They both committed a sin. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. But the thing was, is that, uh, what is it? Peter and Judas both denied Christ. Judas was overcome with despair. He did not have faith, right? Mm -hmm. He was only sorry for his sin, just like King Saul, he makes the distinction between King Saul and King David, right? So the thing is, is that apart from faith, you know, God, God is the one who does everything as far as getting all of the credit, I guess you could say I think it's a good way to put it. Like, he gets all the credit for our salvation. He gets all the credit for our repentance. He gets all the credit for all these things. But we get all the blame if we screw it up. See what I mean? That's, that's why, actually, we disagree with uh, the Reformed or the Calvinists and say, you know, the perseverance of the saints, you know, kind of a once saved, always saved. I know it's a very no. blunt way to put no. it, you know, but it's kind of what it boils down to, right? Uh, that 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 if you are a saint you will persevere no matter what and it's like well but Peter fell right Peter wasn't Peter denied Christ yep. and yet Christ received him back by grace right Peter do you love me feed my sheep right mm-hmm. Peter do you love me right and um, and the same thing with King David right King David fell but he was absolved by the prophet nathan right david. king david was he was absolved by the prophet nathan saying that you know after his adultery with bathsheba and he trusted the promise mm-hmm. right but it was only because he was absolved outside of himself does that make sense the word came from outside and affected him so that he would trust in the promise of god so it's all what god does And and like I said, think about it, contemplate on it, because then when you see it like this, you see it for the beautiful gift that it really is. It takes it off of you having to make a decision to turn away from sin and having to go by your will in ensuring that you stay away from sin and you resist temptation. And it all puts it within the realm of God's grace and his forgiveness and the strength that he grants by faith in Christ so that you would remember i've been forgiven you know i believe in christ so on and so forth right does that kind of help a little bit okay
2: it's not a topic you can understand in one evening
0: you cannot no 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 you'll be you'll be i mean it's a it's a big issue so yeah cuz it's having to Correct uh, a notion of repentance that's pretty widespread. Like he said, I mean, uh, when he says, you know, that that repentance is my free will accomplishing some degree of good works. I mean, that's a that's a blunt, crass way of putting it. But when you boil it down, that's what our modern understanding of repentance is. But when you see it in this way, which is how Scripture really lays it out, it takes a little looking, right? But it's worth it. It's worth seeking it out. Okay? Ponder it. Ponder it, all right? Because um, I still wrestle with this understanding, to be honest with you, because, uh, yeah, it's the sinful flesh wanting to push against the good grace of God in a lot of ways, Okay? Okay, so we've already talked about the two parts of repentance. (laughs) Uh, So the two parts of repentance are contrition that affirms we are sinners deserving of God's wrath, and then faith in the promises of Christ, right? American Christianity thinks this happens once or a handful of times, right? So let's switch to that understanding. American Christianity thinks this happens once or a handful of times. Why is that wrong? Why is that so wrong?
2: You don't sin only once or a handful of times.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. So what could that do to you if you thought that it should only be a one-time or a couple times in a lifetime event? I got a free ticket for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, there's that, yeah. You You could get prideful, right? If you think it's all about your will and overcoming things, like, you know, it's like, let's say somebody's an alcoholic or something like that or a drug addict and they say i've been 10 years sober that was my time of repentance and turning away that's great but if but if you think that's the only time you needed to repent you completely misunderstand the depth of your sin you see what i mean
1: and you've got an extremely low view of god's law
0: yeah and also maybe an extremely low view of his grace, mm-hmm. right? Because if you think that it's just a matter of doing it once or twice, it's like, well, then God only gives you grace once or twice? I don't, don't, don't understand, you know? It's also, what, so yeah, it's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin, right? That um, on the other side also is that if it doesn't cause pride, then what else could it cause?
3: Well, according to this, it's pride or despair.
0: That's right. How could you despair from that understanding of that repentance only happens once or a handful of times in your life?
2: If everyone else can do it, why can't I do it like that?
0: Yeah, if I yeah, because I'm because what? I'm on my tenth time of repentance while this person over here is only on their second. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about it that way. Or think about it also to say, it's like, well, it's only supposed to be once. Man, I think it's probably been like 20 times, you know? But if it's only supposed to be once, how bad am I? And does God really care? Does God really love me if I can't get it together, right? Does that kind of make some sense? I, and if, if you haven't thought about it that way before and you haven't seen it that way before, thanks be to God. Uh, but that that could be the way that somebody might see it, right? It could be the way that somebody might see it.
3: Um, well, I've heard, you know, some of these people, they even tell you the minute, date, and time of when they uh, yeah. decided. for huh? And you listen to some people that grew up in the faith, and it's like, I don't really remember a thing like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, yeah. like as far as like, um, I mean, there were... Yeah. Born and raised that way, and they don't yeah. remember some special event where all of a sudden Jesus is their savior or something. Right, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. okay. That's
0: very, and you're right, that's really foreign to the Lutheran understanding of conversion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially because of our understanding of uh, baptism and um, baptizing infants, right? Um, <clears throat> because it's all, it shifts it, right? It shifts it from. A momentous occasion where we make a decision or something along those lines to the momentous occasion when God washes us clean of our sin, when he clothes us in his righteousness and purity forever, you know, that sort of thing. It shifts the focus. And and, and that's why we as Lutherans, I think we might get a little jealous of those times. We're like, we want a testimony too, sometimes,
1: I
2: think. <laughs> you know? Because yeah. it's like, hey, that sounds kinda neat. I wish I could
0: talk to somebody about that.
2: Right.
0: No, no. If you've never been tempted by that, no. praise God, right? <laughs> Thanks be to God, because you don't need it, right? Right. And it's one of those things I've gotten in those discussions before too, where you know we go around introducing ourselves, and someone said I've, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was eleven years old, and then it comes to me, and it's like. I was baptized when I was like two weeks old, and that's when I received Christ. You know, and uh, it creates a good discussion. I mean, you, you really, you really, you really get into some good discussions that way. But yeah, it it creates also a benefit, a blessing, because then, and I didn't realize this until it was kind of um, revealed to me in this kind of thinking when I was at the seminary, is that like when you are baptized as a child, or you know, as a baby or whatever, then, then you, and you're and you raised in the church. Let's not just say baptized and then you never go to church again. But if you're raised in the church, then you always grow up, you grow up always believing. Mm-hmm. That is a tremendous blessing to never, to never be able to say there wasn't a moment when I didn't, that I, like there was no ever a moment that I can remember that I didn't believe in Christ, you know, that he was my savior. What a wonderful thing that is. That you didn't have to go through the anguish like some people think they have to do sometimes before they can get to the
1: point where they have to believe. Yeah. It's not everybody, but... It starts sounding Catholic when you impose a burden of suffering upon yourself. <laughs> or, oh, I haven't so th- <laughs> suffered under no. the weight of sin, it's, so i That's must very remember. interesting. Yeah. was
0: did I, did I say that in this class, or was it the other class, where it's like sometimes sometimes with... Um, sometimes with those teachings of, you know, saying like in your testimony, you need to have something that you've overcome, you know, some sort of struggle that you, you know, or that God has, you know, helped, whatever. In a lot of ways, it kind of goes full circle back around to a Roman, a Roman Catholic understanding of suffering for satisfaction of some kind, you know, of sin. No funny it's not funny no it's not it's it's actually very tragic that people might believe that that's what's necessary when it's not right Wow yeah yeah all right any any other thoughts on 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 that uh, part of repentance happening once or a handful of times I mean what is the benefit of Understanding repentance as a daily event. What's the benefit of that? In contrast to the once-in-a-lifetime event. That's not on the sheet, but I'll ask the question because I think it's kind of a good one. It's like Amy said: You sin every day. Yeah, you sin every day. For we daily sin much, as the Catechism says, right? Um, you betcha. That yeah that when 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 you understand something like Holy Baptism. Uh, as a free gift of God, washing you clean by his promise attached to the water, that in that you can always remember that baptism. You can remember that event, even though you were, like, maybe not cognitively, but you can remember based on the testimony of your, <laughs> there we go, testimony, but, but by the witness account of, like, your parents, your godparents, saying, no, I was there when you were baptized, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And you can remember that by saying, look, God has marked me as his own child, and I can start my day fresh every single day. As you know, the Catechism says, um, that uh, by daily contrition and repentance, the old Adam should die and be drowned, right? baptism, mm-hmm. so that the new man may come forth right that the new man who is Christ would come forth and live through you
2: right i think you have a deeper appreciation of god's mercies when you understand that his mercies are renewed every morning not just right as whenever as, you get around to yeah. Repenting.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Seems like I'm working on my schedule today. Right. That's kind of what he talks about, right? You can't schedule repentance. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's always, and we talked about this in uh, one of our last classes where we read through what, thank, pray, serve, and obey, how it's good to be in the habit of, you know, morning and evening prayer so that you can have the opportunity and the habit of repenting. It may, be, it may not be on a schedule, Right? But it is a habit of remembering the importance of repentance and faith um, because it is a gift, right? And it is beneficial. And why would you not want to do what's beneficial, right? Okay. Okay. All right. So let's keep going because uh, we're running out of time here. Um, <clears throat> no, I won't make y'all go two hours. Uh, so, conversion. All right, number five, uh, question number five: Conversion is God's work. All right. Why isn't Why isn't it our work or our decision? I mean, we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, but let, but for the
1: sake of answering the question. I say dead men tell no tales, but <laughs> the Bible says dead men do no deeds. That's right. Dead men do nothing, <laughs>
0: right? Dead men do nothing. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, so apart from Christ, we cannot come to know our depth of sin or the height of God's grace, right? Yeah, apart from Christ, you can do nothing, which kind of bugs some people. I can understand why, but on the other hand, I can't, I kind of can't. I'm just like, well, God's word says it. I don't know why you can't just trust that, but you know, it's like, I think I got into a discussion with somebody. It's like, you mean to tell me that people who do charitable works but aren't Christians, those don't count? I was like, well, they might count on some level, but what good is it going to do people? I mean, in the long run, apart from faith, um, what good is it to feed someone, you know, with a meal if you don't also, you know, not as an obligation, but as, 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 as a joy to say, you know, I'm doing this because Christ first loved me. You know, or I'm, I'm, or just to you know pray for that person or whatever. That if you're just trying to feed someone, or clothe them, or do a good work, I mean, apart from Christ, though, it means nothing, right? Um, it means nothing in an eternal sense. It may mean something on a day-to-day thing, it may mean something that that person gets to see tomorrow, but what about eternity? See what I mean? Now that's kind of getting off the issue of conversion. But yeah, conversion, back to that, yeah, dead men do do no deeds. Like you said, Jake. So yeah, that's pretty clear. Any other questions on that? I don't want to beat a dead horse. <coughs> okay. Um no, What's that? Oh, I don't remember what I wrote on that one. Well, that's okay. We can talk about it some other time. Yeah, Pete. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, number six the righteousness of the gospel belongs to Jesus, but is graciously given to us. On page uh, 108, right? Um, what is passive righteousness? They could have worded these things so much better. But what is passive righteousness, as he laid it out?
3: Well, I thought about it in terms of you know, my mechanical um, engineering background and like a solar, passive solar energy and active solar energy. OK. The, the passive just happens. It has no moving parts. There's no, nothing that has to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, nothing needs to be done if you want to think also. On top of that, maybe maybe it's a little bit different, of course, because you're switching systems here, but in a grammatical sense, you know, if you're speaking in an active voice, I ran, I drove, you know, I did this, whatever, that's an active sense. But a passive sense is that someone took me to this place, or I was, you know, pushed, or I was... Take, you know, whatever it is, it's all passive that something is happening to you, but you're not doing anything. You see what I mean? That, that kind of falls in the same way. So yeah, like, I mean, it's I mean, not it's, active.
3: The sun comes up and heats the water. That's passive.
0: Yeah, it receives yeah. the energy from the sun. That's it. Yeah. It's not producing anything in and of itself. Yeah. Um, it's good, that's a good way to see it. So passive righteousness... Um, is a righteousness apart from what you do. It's that simple. It's something we can only receive. It's something we can only be given, right, passively. Any other thoughts about that, questions? Nope. Okay, Pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward, right? It's good. So, now number seven, what does the office of the keys have to do with absolution and forgiveness? Well, first of all, what is the office of the keys?
1: Can I give you the definition I've been working with for years? Please? Yeah. See what you think of it? Yeah. So, I thought of it as the church's ability to recognize what God has done in human lives. So, not to officiate or to administer. which I think might distinguish from the Eastern tradition. But I thought of it as recognizing what God has done. So what you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven already would be the Mm. way to translate that passage according to this view.
0: Interesting. Okay. All right, so... so, I'm trying to think. Yeah, because I've heard that before, and that's also been connected from what I understand to the understanding of baptism or... Uh, yeah Holy Communion and things like that as well i've I've heard that kind of um, theological understanding tied to the sacraments in that way so um, <clears throat> and I can understand where it's coming from but um, I guess and 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 we would understand that as well too on some level like in our absolution like if so in our Lutheran service book, we have—let uh, me just pull one real quick and just tell y'all. We have something where it's like, you know, we do—whether if whether it's divine service one, two, three, whatever. In the, in the absolution, we have two columns there, right? We have two columns. The one on the left is spoken by a pastor where he says, you know, uh, as I called an ordained servant of the Word, you know, capitalized Word, that's Christ— I announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. On the other side, that could be uh, that could be actually read by a layman, because it says, Almighty God, our heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us, and has given His only Son to die for us, and for His sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Now that's biblical as well, right? And that's something that we can pronounce to each other, right? If someone comes to you and says, I just feel horrible about this thing that I did, you know, um, I didn't hurt anybody but myself, so who do I confess to? Who's supposed to forgive me? And any layperson can simply say that for his sake, for Christ's sake, you are forgiven. So trust in his promise, right? But what do you do when Jesus says, um, when Jesus says of whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever's sins you retain, they are retained. What do you do with that, with that understanding? Right? First of all, who's Jesus talking to when he says that?
2: The disciples.
0: Yeah, the disciples who would be his apostles. Which is why we understand the pastoral office to be a part of the apostolic the apostolic office. No pastors are not apostles in the way that, you know, Peter, James and John were. They are in the office and doing the things that Christ has Um, instituted for the comfort and the benefit of his people, okay? Does that kind of make sense? I think so. So, yeah, it's kind of, it takes a little bit to switch, because if you've been dealing with the understanding of absolution uh, or the office of the keys in that you are proclaiming what has been done, this is a direct delivery of... What has been done for you right here, right now, and it's not just because oh we want to have extra comfort, oh we want to have extra assurance, but it's something that God Himself, Jesus Christ, says, right? Um, if you for- if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, right? Um, so, yeah. We can go into that a little bit more some other time. And in fact, I'm sure we'll, we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about that. The, do y'all have any questions about that? So um, that's not a wrong way to see it, but there is more to it than just that. I guess that's what I'll say. There's just more to it than that. Um, and that we believe that the Office of the Keys, um, we believe that the Office of the Keys, right, and why do we say keys? Because there's a binding key and a loosing key, right? Whoever sends you loose, they are loosed. Whoever is bound, they are bound. You see what I mean? That's why we call it the keys. Um, that the office of the keys is actually, we would say, and this is our own kind of interpretive take on it, Um and I, and I need to look more into the scriptural support for it. I know, I know it's there. I just can't remember off the top of my head. That we believe the office of the keys is actually given to the entire church. Not just to, you know, the Pope. Not just to a bishop or, you know, something like that. We believe it is given to the entire church. And then the church raises up men... In certain ways, you know, send, either sending them off to this, either sending them off to the seminary to get an education, you know, proper training, you know, all all these things like that, right? Proper instruction and examination, however that might be, depending on your circumstances, um, which we always would like to have as rigorous as we can get on those sorts of things, because it's an important office to fulfill. That the church raises up men from among their ranks and then entrusts the office to them to act out, right? So the pastor, in our understanding, the pastor is not special because, like, okay, me, I'm not special uh, in and of myself. The office that I, uh, the office that I occupy, the duties that I carry out, that's what's important. Right. It's just like, you know, um, whether you whether you, uh, you know, depending on how you see things nowadays, because politics is just so crazy. Um, you know, let's say, you know, on a political level, uh, the governor of the state, right? I can probably say governor or president might not do it right now, but the governor of the state, if you were to meet him. Would you say, "Hey Greg, how you doing?" No. <laughs> what would you probably say? <laughs> Mr. Governor or, you know, Governor Abbott. Governor Abbott. Governor, governor Abbott, Abbott, right? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. And 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 it's not because you wouldn't say that if he wasn't governor though. You wouldn't say that if he was just Greg Abbott down the street, right? You would say Governor Abbott because that's the office that he occupies. Sure. And, um, and, and, and he has been duly appointed to fulfill the duties of that office, right. right? So, the office of the keys and absolution and forgiveness. The pastor, like it says in, you know, Divine Service 3, right? Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of, what, me as a good person? No, my office, right? right. As a called and ordained servant of the word, Christ, Announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command, in the stead and by the command, right? Whoever sins you, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, right? Um, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Again, tying you back to your baptism, right? In the triune name. It's all wrapped up together. It's great, yeah. There's a lot of comfort there, right? And like I said, we don't say this because we want... It's like, you like comfort? Let me give you more comfort just because I want to give you more comfort. No, it's because God grants it through his word, right? Um, And we can go deeper into that, but for the sake of time, we won't. Um, But absolution and forgiveness is granted or delivered through the office of the keys, or that is the pastoral office. Um, That it is Christ acting through... The called an ordained servant, right? Um, he's not speaking of his own accord, and that's why also I wear a stole uh, because when a pastor wears a stole like that, it is a symbol of him not being his own master. That he takes on that, that, that the yoke of Christ is placed on him, and while it is a light yoke, as Christ says, right? his yoke is easy and his burden is light, it still means that I can't just go wherever I want to go. I go where Christ leads me. See what I mean? And what he leads me to do as a pastor, and what he leads all pastors to do is to hear confession of sins and absolve those with a terrified conscience, right? To preach the gospel. Right? All right. You got it, Ed. Right.
3: <laughs> Star pupil here. No. <laughs> so. Now, another Robert chair. You mentioned the governor Abbott. Okay. These titles never seem to go away. So oh yeah, you always call him Mister President. You call, president. I mean, that's
0: nonsense. <laughs> Same way with pastor. Well, I think that's a custom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a custom that people that people uh, maybe. You know, rightfully recognize on some level because even if a pastor is retired, you know, I he mean, still get called in. To- you can yeah, you can still still get called in to serve, right? <laughs> uh, um, you know, you yeah, but you're in. not a pastor anymore. Um, well, in some sense, maybe it's people just trying to still give respect to the office on some level by saying, you know, thank you for your service or something like that. I mean, maybe that's 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 me being putting putting the best construction on it, right?
2: The church we came from was real big, and so there were like five retired pastors, and they got called on all the time because there were three services. Yeah, but that
3: doesn't mean they're a pastor. Well, it didn't. Okay, that's a whole that. (laughs) You're touching
0: on something, James. It's actually a big debate, like because we say you know called and ordained, Mm -hmm. they may not have a specific call to serve at a specific parish. My understanding is that, but they are ordained
3: should have a congregation. Yeah. Mm. And if they don't have a congregation, they ain't a pastor. I mean, you how have, hard is that? You, <laughs> have,
2: you have pastors that like go to the medical center. Yeah,
3: center, chaplains
0: and whatever. Cha- yeah, and
2: they're yeah. pastors. And they serve like they'll know who all the Lutherans yeah. are in the hospital. Well, you know, see them we whatsoever.
0: won't we won't get into it right now, but I mean, that, like I said, James, there's a debate on what it exactly means uh what you know and it's kind of getting into a wee discussion that we're not going to get into right now but i mean i think on some level you're right that you need to if you're going to be fulfilling the pastoral office you really should have a congregation that you are serving in some capacity and and it we can but at at at, at the same time I don't know. At at the same time, like, what do you do with a pastor when he's in retirement and he's not called to serve anywhere, but he becomes a vacancy pastor? Call him reverend. Okay, fine. Call him reverend. (laughs) We'll split the difference. (laughs) All right. No, I see what you mean, though. I do see what you mean. And we can can get into that issue because...
3: I call a spade a spade. The way I look at things. Sure, that's
0: fine. That's fine. (laughs) I <laughs> you do too. Do, do. <laughs> yeah you, you go. Well and, and
1: fair said, enough. Fair I enough, went, yeah. I went to Concordia for three years. Uh-huh. Everybody with one two sessions went to seminar. Uh-huh. These people, I call Elmer, Elmer, Elmer.
3: No, you
2: were their friend when they were a child. You don't address them as pastor. Maybe (laughs) he should. Well, a lot of these things
0: are customs, right? Right. A lot of these are, are 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 customs. Like it's like as a pastor, if there's another pastor's wife. Who you know privately wants to call me by my first name? I'm not going to get angry at her. Is like Are you call me no. no. <laughs> that's 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 a custom though. No. I'm not going to get mad at somebody because they want to do that. You know, just like I'm not going to snap at somebody if they, you know, say um, the Right Reverend Garrett or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like no, that's that's not really how it's supposed to work. Anyway, whatever. Oh, um, it's custom, and, and a lot of that is um, well, we can get into that on another study, because actually our Lutheran yeah. confessions... It was a rabbit
1: trail. That's well, true, but
0: our <laughs> Lutheran confessions do talk about the pastoral office, and um, other Lutheran theologians have tackled the issue as well, so we can talk about it some other time. We won't talk about it right now. Rabbit trail. Thanks, James. <laughs> all right. No, but it's good. It's all connected. How can you not go down these paths? They're all
3: connected. So, well, to, if I if wasn't here... Maybe it'd
2: be too boring. Maybe too boring. <laughs> it was so
3: boring. I mean, you're the real star
0: here, James. You know that. Right? <laughs> All right, so last question. And number eight, I really liked his distinction here, you know, about consciences, right? Uh, a good conscience is not a conscience without sin. A good conscience is a forgiven conscience. Um, before we asked about the courtroom analogy, did y'all find his distinction between a troubled conscience and a terrified conscience helpful. You remember what he said about that? Yeah. I mean, to some of y'all, it may be a distinction without a difference, right? Mm -hmm. That's okay. But I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, a troubled conscience is one that says, yeah, I did something wrong, but what am I going to do about it? Where a terrified conscience before God would say, I did something wrong, how is God going to punish me for it? Right? What, is, what is God going to do because I did something wrong? And that makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Um, so when it comes to a good conscience, though, um, it's not one without sin, but it is forgiven. And when he talked about the courtroom analogy, first of all, have y'all ever heard of that analogy before? The courtroom analogy? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah? I yeah. would Personally, I would have done it a whole lot differently.
0: Well, maybe you can write your own book and send it to CPH <laughs> and be a comp- a competitor to Pastor Wolfmiller. I'm not. I'm not laughing because you can't do it. I'm laughing because I would love to see it. I'll be honest with you. That's way too much work. <laughs> oh man, that's good. Yeah. So um, the court, the courtroom analogy. You know, just 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 to recap. You know, so Satan is the accuser. He's he's the prosecutor. He comes and presents your sins. The Paraclete, the the uh, the defense attorney, Christ pleads your case before the judge, who is the Father, right, and says not guilty because these sins have been paid for, right. Uh, and then I really like though that distinction between the heavenly courtroom, right, and the courtroom of the conscience that now. For your individual conscience, your defense attorney, your advocate, your paraclete is the Holy Spirit, right? Pointing you to what Christ has done in terms of um, satisfying the charges, right? Paying the full debt that you owed to remind you, no, you shouldn't despair because Christ has died for you. Christ has paid for all your sins. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his primary work, is that he always points us to Christ, right? Okay, so, so was that helpful for y'all when it comes to your conscience? Did
3: y'all find that comforting? I thought his talk about good conscience was a good one. Yeah. It's just the analogy. Yeah. Okay. What was wrong with the analogy? I would use, you know, every governor and president has the uh, authority to pardon. Sure. That's okay. what I would
0: use. Sure, yeah. And that's another valid valid uh, application of this. That, you know, it's like these charges <laughs> on some level, it's like, well, I guess I guess it de- it depends on your, your system of government, right? Um, we understand that, but I think... We understand that on our governmental system, the governor, the president, the executor, the the, the executive office has the authority to pardon charges, pardon, um, you know, but in a lot of countries, I don't know if they necessarily have that. So maybe a more universal, a more universal, uh, a more universally received analogy might be this courtroom. Because, I mean, judges exist in all kinds of cultures.
1: You plead your case, and then the judge decides. Right? And a bunch of guys in suits stand up and say you did or didn't do it. That's right, yeah. Well, <laughs> those elements are pretty stable.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cross-cultural right there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, any, any closing thoughts, questions? Is something that we missed that y'all wanted to touch on? I had a question. Okay. On page one hundred one. One hundred one.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. So that uh, I guess middle paragraph. Uh, Repentance is what happens to us when the law and gospel do their work on us. Yes. Okay. So wouldn't it be more effective to have contrition or confession and absolution after the readings and sermon in the order of service?
3: Um hmm.
0: like right before
2: uh Right, before communion, but after after the preach. word of God has told you that you need to confess versus having it at the beginning of the service before you really do anything <laughs> <laughs> Well I mean it's a good point. Um
0: yeah you you could uh you could Move it around if you'd like. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I don't know, I'm probably gonna get roasted for this if anybody lo- listens to this and says, "You know, you can't do that." Uh, you know, I, I the the thing is, is that is that yeah, you you need to have. To. <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> that? Yeah, turn it off. Um, just create a lot of static.
2: <laughs> this
0: would just get taken out in post. Um, Yeah, so so yeah, that's a good point. Um, You, yeah, confession and absolution is not adiaphora in terms of do you have it or not. You need to have it. Mm -hmm. Um, Where you place it in the service, it's probably on some level okay to move it, but in a lot of ways, I think that our forefathers in creating the liturgy, put it at the front just to just just to have, I guess, just to set. And I could look more into this as to the reasons why, but to set the tone. Yeah, set the tone. Set yeah. the tone a lot better for... That's what uh, I've heard. Like, you yeah.
2: start worship with a, a clean conscience. Right. So that you can hear... In recognition hear. of what you've already received. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and yeah, so... That's a good question, though. I mean, could we move it? You technically can. Would it be the best thing to do? I mean, you can try it and see. I, 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 I don't know.
2: I just think maybe um, it would be. Um, I, don't, it would be I don't
0: know cheap. if we would try it here. <laughs> <laughs> but, confuse a lot of people. You yeah, confuse a lot of people. It's like, no, no, we're not
1: starting at the beginning like you think we're
2: starting. We're going to come back later, on don't on worry. 153.
1: That's right, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're so way back. And you everybody know, would look uh, like me trying to navigate the worship materials. I, 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 I think I already confused not people. On, <laughs> I think
0: I already confused plenty of people on some level. I don't need to add add to the confusion, so it's it's fine. Uh,
3: yeah, there'll be a lot yeah. of uh, five fifteen, and that's the way it's got to right? be. Yeah, well, you
0: know, yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, how you do it is, and and. We can get into liturgical customs, and maybe maybe one of our classes can be on, like, the reasoning behind why the service is shaped the way that it is. It's kind of a neat thing to look at. But yeah, good question. Good question. Um, any other questions? Things we missed? You want to touch on? You know, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Yeah, we are. <laughs> Yeah, a little late. That's all right. Well, we covered a lot. This this, this, this chapter is jam-packed full of stuff, uh, for sure. A lot of good stuff, a lot of good discussion. I appreciate y'all really diving in and and thinking about it and wrestling with it all. Um, Yeah, if you do have any questions or anything like that, we can talk about it at some point in time. That's what you pay me for, so... Might as well cash in. Anyways. (laughs) All right, so without, you know, to to not belabor it and keep y'all on later, how about let's go ahead and uh, close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.